Hey, everybody. It's Karen Stefano, author of the story collection, The Secret Games of Words. And I'm happy to have with me today Alex Proutineau, uh, author of the forthcoming novel, The Sun Eaters. Alex, how are you? Hey, Karen. Good to be with you today. I'm well, thank you. Oh, good, good. You must be getting excited for your book to drop. Yeah, it's uh, it's strange because it's been such a long time coming that I almost feel like uh, it's been a long process, and I'm I feel tired a little bit, but I'm I'm you know revving myself up and you know getting ready to go, and I'm just you know trying to do a little promotion and uh, and being on uh, your show is just wonderful. So you know this is the beginning for me, but yeah, it's it's a long long process. At least for for me, it was. So, but yeah, I am excited. I, uh, this is a good thing. Yeah. Yes. Good. Well, yeah, I think I think everyone feels that way. And in this world of social media, it seems like everyone else is moving with their projects at lightning speed. And, and then, you know, here we are just trudging through rewrites, rewrites, you know, waiting for a pub date. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it it's it's a it's a grind, but I'm I'm excited for you because uh, having had an early uh, copy of of the book, obviously I've read it and it's fantastic, and I'm excited for you to go into this next new phase where of of shameless self promotion. Yes, yes, it has to be done. <laughs> I mean, it has to be done no matter what. Even if you're uh, you know signed with a a biggie, they're they're gonna they're gonna expect you to go out there and just just pimp your goods. So, you know, this is it. We, we start, I'm actually working on a second novel right now and I'm sort of putting that to the side for a little bit so we can go into, uh, into promo mode here. So, but yeah, this is, uh, it's just part of, part of being a writer. And, uh, you know, a lot of us don't like to do this necessarily. Uh, I'm okay with this. I like talking to people like you, but I know there's a lot of writers who despise this particular phase. It just has to be done. Otherwise, you're absolutely. not going to sell anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And all all your hard works for for naught. So, not, um, not. yeah. So, well, I I wish you I wish you the best of luck in this in this phase. And with that, Thank I you. would like to launch right into the Sun Eaters, and I want to ask you uh, to tell our listeners a little bit about the novel. And then if you'd be willing, uh, to read to us for a few minutes. Oh, sure. Absolutely. It's a, it's a very nice, uh, it's kind of a small novel, but it's a very simple story of, uh, uh, two boys, two brothers, one about 14 and the other nine, the nine-year-old is actually the narrator and he sort of serves as a, uh, omniscient narrator as well as the character in the book itself and it's uh takes place in a in a village in eastern europe just post world war 2 it goes through uh, well we start we start out in the middle of the war but it then then quickly moves through and then it takes place in the next 6 or 7 years or so and it is their their uh struggle they as well as a handful of their friends as well they're they're just uh, struggle to survive the post war famine and the desolation and the destruction, uh, as well as the, the new repressive political ideology that, that has changed the landscape as well, and that has been forced upon their society, that being communism. It's not necessarily referred 
to directly like that, but that's that's what's been happening, you know. So there's people missing suddenly uh, from the villages. Uh, there's purges and things like that. But uh, but all throughout this particular period, as they're trying to make their way through the years and the seasons, um, uh, they do so by sharing stories and uh, made up stories and fairy tales that kind of just keeps them going. Uh, and and they're able to, you know, withstand this brutality that's been unleashed on them. It, it sounds terrible and depressing, but it's not. I mean, there are parts that are difficult, but this is, I see this as a, a, a beautiful uh, testament to the resilience of children, uh, young children having to deal with uh, terrible situations. And it, it's, uh, it's, it's not really unlike some of the things that, that are happening right now around the world. I'm thinking of Aleppo, but that, that must, it's probably too extreme uh, what's going on in Syria right now. Uh, but, but I, you know, there, there are children that are suffering all around and are, are getting through, you know, they're getting through. And if you ask some of them, they, they'll even say, you know, we don't want to leave our war torn country because it's our country and we'll be fine here. So it sort of celebrates that. And there's a couple of plot twists and turns there. There's a couple of good ones in there. So it, it keeps you sort of on your toes and uh, major one that happens toward the end. Uh, but yeah, it's, I think it's a happy novel <laughs> and that's, that's basically sort of it in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, um, well read, read to us, please. Uh, yeah. So I, I just thought it, it just makes the most sense to start right at the beginning and I, I'll read you the, uh, intro sequence, uh, which is a few minutes or so. And it just kind of gives you an idea of, uh, the pacing and the voice of, uh, of the character here. So I'll just start from the beginning. This is the very beginning of the novel. When I was born, I was sleeping in my mother's eyes. I spied myself in the reflection of her gaze. The mashed-up face of a rosy country pumpkin with a crooked nose nearly pinned to my soft cheek from the laborious, claustrophobic 18-hour passage through the birth canal. I was forced into all of this without even a brief consultation, and consequently, I resisted the violence of nature for as long as I could. For months, I ignored the muffled sounds penetrating through the call, distorted by the amniotic fluid. In protest, I kicked back and often at the gentle touches I felt on my heel or elbow whenever I pushed against the soft flesh of my mother's belly in order to stretch or gain a bit more room. The women who helped me abandon the uneasiness of the womb stood guard in the room, petrified. His face, his noses, he was born an old man, this one. Ever seen such a thing? Good Christ, his hair. It's completely white, like flour. All around spun a maelstrom of shadows and whispered words, and suddenly, from the fog, dislodged the sinuous, rubbery stem of my brother, Vladi. You came in making such a racket, you woke up the animals, he said, and shook his head with contempt at the bloody, slimy pile of flesh that cooed and bubbled in the hammock made of old shirts and towels. You look like a sorry cracked wall with peeling paint. An old gypsy pushed her way in, carrying burning incense and a golden censer held by three chains and a small wooden cross. They won't ring no bells for you, sonny boy, she said. That's a done deal for sure. Bells no longer vaunt the birth of children. They call out the birds of war now. You've been born in the wrong time, sonny. She swung the smoky censer at my face and began to chant. Someone whispered, blasphemy. 
but there were no priests to be found anywhere then to declare or acknowledge the blasphemy of a woman chanting. All the men were gone, even God. Only the women now stood in the archways of their gates, calling home their cows and sheep in the evenings. The gypsy elbowed her way through the others and crossed herself. Don't worry, she said. In all the muddle, I ripped out a piece of your brother's shirt. Don't pay no mind to his lip. You was angry when you checked in. Now let the old woman take care of you and cure you. She lit a patch of cloth with an oil lamp and circled my head with smoke. Sleep. Sleep now. Go ahead. Be soothed by the heart of the earth. Sleep. The woman danced and whispered, and then she chased away the dissipating ovals of smoke with her stale breath. Run, arrows, leave, demons, forsake heartache and pain. Leave the head, the ears. Run to other lands, other depths. Let him rest in his own house. She spat on the dirt floor three times. Sleep, lamb. Go now. Find your stillness. Gather it inside your breast and cover your heart with it. So this is just the, the beginning sequence to the, to the novel, which you know progresses through the next couple of years throughout the war fairly quickly so we can get sort of to the meat of the story. But, um, you know, he, he, he narrates, the boy narrates in such a way, especially at the beginning, that it's almost like you're getting uh, an impressionist painting of, of what, what happens to this village during the bombardment that comes. Um, so it's sort of an interesting timeline right at the beginning there. It, 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 we, we, we forward through a couple of years fairly quickly, but uh, I, I hope in an artistic kind of way that, that uh, that seems beautiful despite the horrors of what's happening there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, it is it, it is interesting to me, Alex. You know, when you're when you're giving the the setup from your point of view, the creator's point of view, you're you're right. It it can come across just uh, you know describing it mechanically. Okay, this is what happened. Here's the setting you know, taking off the description, it can come across as a depressing story, but it's right, not a depressing right. book at all, at all. It, and I, oh, I agree that. I'm glad you caught yeah, that. Yeah, I'm glad you caught oh, that. <laughs> absolutely. I don't think, I don't think any reader is going to walk away from this story untouched by the beautiful imagery and the language and voice that's so unique and so, alive and the little excerpt excerpt that you chose to read for us i think really i, I think really demonstrates that and there are a little later on in in the book there there are some some other great examples like ma uh, says would you look at my look at my all grown-up mouse here all cocky with the gift of gab and right, and, she, and she's point, actually yeah. she's actually referring to the older brother Vladi, who 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 is is at this point I saw him as perhaps maybe about six ish or so at this point where the, the where where you are in the book and uh, just yeah just uh, Vladi ends up being an, an interesting character. Uh, he's sort of he's sort of like the, the, these two boys are now that I step back and look at it and then reread it several times looking over the proofs and I didn't do this on purpose, but it's, it's sort of a, a flip side of the uh, Don Quixote and Sancho Panza duo where, where the narrator, the nine-year-old is Sancho Panza actually. And, and the whimsical character, uh, the Don Quixote is uh, the older brother, which is sort of an interesting flip because it, 
at least at least back then the older brother was always the caretaker of the younger um and and so he becomes this sort of a an interesting uh whimsical kind of character that not not really book smart um but he also plays with his brother a lot uh and i'm thinking of a particular scene in which he's telling his younger brother that he can he can catch the moon in his hands um and and he sort of plays with his younger brother as well and, and sometimes plays the the uh you know the fool so to speak um i like vladi he's he's a he's a good older brother <laughs> I, I i like vladi too and he's pretty eloquent himself uh there's there's that one there's one point very early in the book where he worries they're going to melt the sky and yeah. that's just one of many many examples of his beautiful lyrical observations yeah uh, yeah what something else alex i wanted to ask you about and uh it, it showed up just in the the brief excerpt that uh, from the sun eaters that you chose to read and you it speaks of being born in the wrong time and it talks about right. time and i i wonder if you tell us a little bit about that were you intending to convey anything as an author on this topic of being born in the wrong time? Uh, yeah, I, it, it's, it's interesting that it shows up right there when the gypsy says that to, to the newborn who's, des who's describing the scene, which I also think is, is great. I've, I actually have never read anything that starts off with a, with a newborn describing his, his own birth in this case. Uh, but she does say, you know, you've been born in the wrong time. And my interpretation of that, that's very literal at that point where she's basically saying, look, there's there's no priests here. There's no no men. They've all left for the war and they've they've all died on the battlefield or some of them. Uh, and, you know, lucky you, you've been born right in the middle of a war. So you've been born at the wrong time. But the the, the character comes back and and sort of conveys that a little bit later on. Uh, I don't really want to feed anyone any ideas i actually enjoy having readers come with their own ideas and take away their own ideas from things like that but i can speak to that particular feeling uh personally because there have been so many so many times even to, to this day that i you know I'll, I'll sit around and think about something or watch an old movie and and, and say oh man you know i really haven't not only was I born in the wrong country, I was born in the wrong time. And I know it sounds preposterous because I'm actually able to step aside and step away from that and kind of look at that statement and just say to myself, oh, God, Alex, that's so ridiculous. You were, you were born when you were born and you'd have to deal with yeah. what you have to deal with. You know, I certainly don't want to go back in time to, you know, some of the some of the, <laughs> the years that, you know, this country had to put up with and uh, in 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 whatever parts of society. But, um, so it's a little bit of a melancholic kind of feeling that I, I still get. And I allow myself to feel that way because it's sort of a frivolity that I feel that it's okay that I can feel that way as long as I can then at one point step back and say, Hey, you know, snap out of it. This is what it is. This is a 2017 going on 2018. It's nice thinking about, you know, being, uh, getting a, 
martini with Humphrey Bogart and Casablanca, but you know, we had all kinds of issues back then. And perhaps, it, right. it, it, perhaps you know, I was born at the right time. I mean, I can, I can certainly tell you that I, I feel like I'm a lucky person by not having to fight in any wars, uh, to fight in any revolutions. You know, I, I may have been caught up in what went on in Romania in 1989, you know, when the revolution, when the curtain fell, had I stayed there, had my parents not brought me here, who knows? Uh, but I do feel lucky. And, and while I feel like uh, at times I uh, should have hung out with the Rat Pack in Vegas uh, or would have been nice to have them as friends, it's it's just, yeah, I, I kick myself back into reality again. So it's a nice way to, to, to think if you can check yourself. And I, I do. <laughs> I'm not delusional. Yeah, um, yeah. So you came to the United States in 1989. Is that is that right? I no, I've posted I came, about this before. No, I actually, I came to the States in uh, very early January, 1980. Um, oh. My mom had, my mom had defected here from Romania in 1979. And my father and I arrived uh, almost a year later as part of the family reunification program, which is uh, something that present, uh, the current administration is trying to to end actually, (laughs) strangely enough. But yeah, so I've been here most of my life and I've been an American citizen since 1984. Uh, But in 1989 in Romania, they had a a pretty violent, bloody four, five, six day revolution when the curtain fell. And I don't know, I would have been 20 years old then. So who knows, you know, what what would have happened. Uh, There were a lot of students on the streets that were protesting that were that were shot by uh, by the regime. So that's what I meant by that. I, I, I'm lucky. I'm really lucky. Uh, yeah, that's the yeah. That's definitely the context in which I take that. I take that remark. Yeah. And uh, again, uh, for whatever reason, you're one of those people who shows up in my Facebook feed, and so. Uh, I've, I've read a lot of your posts and, and, and talking about your, your own immigration situation and it's, it's fascinating. And so, um, I'm going to have to, uh, 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 corner you at, at AWP or, or something and, uh, and, and buy you a martini and, and talk to you uh, about that. Yeah. It's, that's something, it's a, yeah, yeah it was, we had a, I, you know, a lot of people have urged me to write about this particular time of the year that my dad and I spent trying to get out of Romania after my mom defected because under, under that particular regime, if you defected to a Western country, you, uh, you committed treason. Uh, and they, and they tweaked with the remaining family. A lot of times they, 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 you know, put the screws on the remaining, on the family that remained in the country. And they, and they tried doing all kinds of things, uh, very interesting, strange, strange things that happened to my father and I, and one of them was, was being run off the road by a government car while we were walking. Uh, and so my, <laughs> so we don't, I don't, I'm not sure that they were trying to uh, murder us or just send a more forceful message, but um, because my dad wasn't being convinced to stay there, he, he was moving forward. So, but anyway, it's a kind of an interesting story and I've been asked to write about it, but it's not unlike uh, any other immigrant story that you know immigrants coming from from a repressive state like that and in fact there have been some really crazy fantastic stories of people you know crossing the border and homemade balloons out of 
out of bed sheets and things like that, or swimming rivers after uh, after taking cold baths for year, you know, for a year, so they can get used to the water at night. Uh, but it's not unlike anything. It doesn't seem out of the ordinary to me. Uh, but maybe one day I'll sit down and write some sort of crazy memoir or something. It sounds so self-indulgent, yeah. though. But it's it's interesting, though. Well, it's just yeah. it's sort of an interesting thing. It's really interesting, and I think uh, memoir uh, as you know, and I can say this as someone who's finishing one up, doing rewrites on one right now. It does feel so self-indulgent, and I've been working on this this book for so long. I'm just, I'm just yeah. sick of myself, you know? Um, so, but, <laughs> so uh, you know, by definition, it, it feels like self-indulgence, but I want to um, uh, shift the, the conversation uh, a little bit. And I, I want to, speaking of you coming up in my Facebook feed, uh, there was a post probably a couple of months ago where you shared uh, how you, I think you and your wife were going on a trip and <laughs> yes, you, yes. You, yeah, you were, um, <laughs> you were, had st- hadn't finished the sun eaters yet. And, but it was clearly, you were very, very uh, invested and uh, it was right. your, your baby. And you said, you essentially made, did some estate planning uh, for our mutual friend, Pat Pujolis to be yes. the book's godfather and you That's right. told him <laughs> how you wanted him to finish it for you. And it's so interesting to me. And it says so much, much to me about you and Pat and giving birth to, to a book. So will you just share with everyone <laughs> what, you know, I'm taking this, people are probably listening going, what the hell is she talking about? Tell us, yeah, tell no, us it's, listening it's, about the post. It, no, it's a good story, and it and it it's kind of funny now that that I think about it. But uh, you, you're right in that this was uh, March of 2014, and my wife and I were traveling to Naples, Italy, for a for a 10 day vacation. And I was very, very, very close to finishing the manuscript. I think I had literally two scenes, two final scenes uh, left to write. And I know this is absolutely ridiculous looking at the percentages. But I thought, look, if this plane goes down, I need for this thing to somehow be finished and try to find its way out into the world. And so I turned to our, our friend, our mutual friend, great writer himself, Pat Pajolas, and I sent him the manuscript. And I, and I said, look, I know you can do this. This is what I planned in these last two scenes and, and happens on the way out or come back to the States. Please finish this and try really, really hard to get this thing published because it's, it's just a shame. It's just such a nice little story that, that it would, it would just contribute to the, you know, the canon of art that's out there, especially independent writing. And, uh, and so I did. So I, I wrote out some instructions, just some general stuff. And I trusted that he could do it. He could, yeah. he could absolutely do it. Uh, but now it's funny. I think about that and, and, you know, the percentages of me <laughs> being killed are so much greater when I get in my car tomorrow morning and I go to work, you know, <laughs> than, yeah. than, you know, some flight overseas, yeah. but, but just, you never, I just, I, I was almost done. I tried really hard and I couldn't, I couldn't finish it. <laughs> and so I left it to Pat I, to do it. <laughs> I just love what it says about, our mental state as writers. I mean, uh, you know, you're so wrapped up in this 
project this that you've sweat over for years and that you've sacrificed right. so much for that you you know that there is a a little bit of uh, neurotic thinking that comes in and th- you know to the point where you're thinking well if my plane goes down oh shit you know it's not oh shit I'm dead it's oh shit my yeah. book won't get out there yeah exactly you know? yeah I mean, that that so yeah up. that doesn't absolutely I mean that <laughs> it didn't concern me that much I just it, it was the book that really mattered and and you're right it's very hard to write and it's very and it's even harder to write well and this project had been with me for a very long time and even when I wasn't writing on it every day and I wasn't uh, because I'm not that kind of writer that comes and sits down every day. I carried it with me. And when it's with you and and you're in the shower and you're forgetting if you've even washed yourself because you're you're thinking of the next scene that, that you're about to write or, or at least that you would like to develop. And you do that for uh, a number of months or, or years at a time. It becomes important, especially especially if you're so close to finishing it, to see if you can just you know, if something happens, if, uh, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a friend like we do and Pat and such, such a wonderful writer himself who can help yeah. you out <laughs> and who can yeah. be the godfather. Yeah. I love this. I love being a godfather to a book. That's, that's <laughs> what a great thing that, that, that you came yeah, up with. Yeah, I know. Well, um, it's, again, I, I think, uh, that everybody listening can, can relate. I mean, i I, for example, when I revise, I print out a hard copy and I and I mark up a manuscript and then I I input, do too I, as well. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I input the I input the edits, but I literally bought one of those uh, portable uh, like fire safe boxes. So because in case <laughs> of, like again we go back to the neuroses, it's like oh my god, what if there's a fire? And yes. I haven't input electronically, you know, my edits to my manuscript. I mean, it's like, you know, that's what you're worried about. That's, that's what you're going to be worried about if there's a fire. I mean, um, yes, but that's, it is. But that was, yeah, but yeah, that's what, that's what you're worried about. So, um, well, look, I haven't thought then, about it now, that, but now you've given me yeah. the idea. So now I have to go find myself one of those fireproof boxes. <laughs> what, yeah, one more thing to worry about, Alex. I'm glad I could, uh, I'm glad I could help thanks. you on your, on your, <laughs> thanks. Your journey to neurosis. <laughs> uh, I want to shift gears again. Ha ha ha! Uh, oh, what I'm oh. I'm doing here. Uh, your Very story nice. collection gears came out in 2013, right? Was that that was it? It did. Was it it came out in yeah, January okay. 2013. Yeah, and. Um, now the Sun Eaters is coming out. Uh, it looks like December of this year. Uh, well, yeah, I wanted we just, to ask you. I mean, we, we were talking about self marketing at the beginning of this podcast, and do you feel you're in a different position, or a better position, or a worse position in terms of marketing your work now versus when Gears came out in 2013? Uh, I think I'm. I'm probably in a little bit of a better position having had a little bit of a track record with uh, the novella Shortling Cuts, which I self-released, uh, and then Gears, which came out, uh, especially around when Gears came out, I became part of a, a, a very great, tightly knit circle of independent writers, and we found each other on uh, on Facebook, um, and then we connected, uh, you and I, and uh, a couple of others in Boston at AWP. So I felt like I was part of a, a community that, that a very supportive community. Uh, 
over the last few years, I've, I've sort of gravitated toward the outside of the circle, uh, just literally because time is so limited for me that, uh, and I have to dedicate it to writing and reading. Uh, and then of course, just the daily life. And, and I have a day, daytime career with uh, NC State University as an editor, and we have uh, deadlines there as well. So time is extremely limited. So I felt like I sort of I'm still there. I'm still orbiting the circle, but I'm not quite quite as involved as I as I was four years ago. But uh, I still feel like I have the support of the community, and uh, I do think that while social networking isn't really great necessarily for selling a book, it's pretty good at getting the word out there. And at right. this point, without a big you know, marketing budget or a marketing uh, uh, agency behind me. The it, it's it's whatever whatever I can do to get the word out there, and and then I hope the quality of the product, uh, physical as well. You know, uh, not just the writing itself, but the the book is a product and the cover and the way it looks and the way it's laid out. Then you hope that that word of mouth goes, you know, starts spreading and hey you know this is a good little book uh maybe you should check this out you know i was thinking not too long ago i was talking to my copyright editor at work um and i and i was thinking this could this book could easily be a, a ya genre you know a young adult genre uh, i mean certainly there's nothing there's nothing offensive really at all not not that necessarily that would matter i don't really know the ya genre but it it could very well be that and I hadn't even sort of, thought about that reading it. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah she, sort of, she sort of perked up uh, my colleague and, and said, you know, the, the YA genre is definitely something that would work right now, especially now. It's such a popular genre. And she's also an ex-librarian. So she just, you know, she started talking to me about what are you doing to try to place these, uh, your book in libraries? And that's actually something that I, I, I can talk to my publisher about uh, because the publisher can help me make this book available in public libraries. And it's certainly worthy of living in a public library. Um, but yeah, just to get back to your question, I, I think, I think I'm, I'm in probably a little bit of a better place. The time that has passed and the track record that I've had, and, and I've had a, a few more publications of longer short stories and some, uh, some really great, great magazines. Uh, I have a, a long story coming out next week in Guernica, which is a fantastic magazine, and it's a great get for me. It's my second time with them, uh, and that that's, sort of is added. Yeah, it's sort of yeah. sort of added to a, a a body of work of sort, and and pe some people might know. Oh, hey, you know, I know who this person is, and oh, he's got a new novel out. Oh, so I feel like I'm in a better place, definitely. Um, I'll be going to AWP in Tampa as well, March of 2018, and I have a book signing uh, Thursday, I believe that's March 9th, um, at the uh, Chervena Barba press table. Uh, and then I'll be working the table as well. So I'll be at AWP, and that's another great way to to spread the word about your book. And I'm hoping to do some readings in the, in the evenings at, at local places, which is another great way to kind of get the word out there. Um, then I'll, I'm look, I, I would like to work with Powell's books again. They were great for me as an author with both gears and sh yeah. And short lean cuts. I mean, they were so, so supportive. And so I'm, I'm pretty confident that we can get this book at Powell's as well. 
And uh, besides being available from the Chirvena Barva Press website, this will also be distributed by the Small Press Distribution Service, the SPD. Uh, so I'll, you know, we'll have all those links up when when the book comes out. We've pushed the book a little bit to early December, um, dealing with some printers printer issues here and there. But every, everything is looking great. It's uh, just a nice, clean, beautiful product, and uh, you know we're on track. Uh, looking at the second proof right now, and uh, I'm going to approve the cover pretty soon. But we just want to make sure that everything is spot on, perfect, and wherever there's a comma the comma exists there and wherever there's a semicolon yeah. we have the semicolon there and so forth yeah. so uh, yeah. i'm i'm excited it's a long process it's very hard to, to to write a book and it's it's just as hard to produce the book and to and to publish it so we have i, I, I have to be patient <laughs> yeah well, yeah it's hard but yeah i'm i'm really really excited for you and on that note, and we're uh, just about out of time, but I wanted to ask you, what can people who are listening do to support you and this wonderful book? And again, I have the benefit of uh, having read an, an early uh, copy, and so I can I can vouch for for its for its beauty, but. So I have every bit of confidence that word of mouth is going to be a big marketing tool for this book. But I recently, and I think you saw it too, read the um, awesome piece in McSweeney's, How You Can Help Me yes. Sell My Book. If, if anybody who's listening, uh, Google it, McSweeney's, How You Can Help Me Sell My Book, especially if you're currently marketing a book. I promise you it will make you laugh out loud. Um, but yeah, it's a good that, piece, just, yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I just about died. Um, it's just it's so it's so on point. So everybody, uh, yeah. uh, Google it after you finish this podcast. But ser- seriously, Alex, what what can people do um, other than buy twenty copies of the book and give it to everyone they know for the holiday season? Um, reviews, coming out to see you at AWP, inviting you to a reading. Yeah, sure. I mean, all of that helps, including buying 20 copies and giving them to their (laughs) friends and then having those friends, you know, uh, maybe spread the word that way, you know, because of, hey, a free good book is a free good book. I'll take I'll even take a free bad book, (laughs) you know, Um, (laughs) of course, buying. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. But maybe I used to maybe not now. Maybe at my age, I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to read bad books anymore. (laughs) Whatever bad means to other people. But of course, buying buying the book is is the number one way to, to support me. And I've had some wonderful people actually pre-ordered this book. They sight unseen, have not seen, have not read. They just know the, the premise, but I have a great number of people that have already paid for their copy, which I'm going to sign uh, as soon as I get my shipment in, as soon as it's produced. So there's, there's, there's that, you know, there's that, that sort of uh, excitement for it is amazing. And it helps uh, spreading the word, uh, I'll I'll try to do as many readings as I can at AWP as well and social media. If hey, if you if you bought this book and you like this book, it's it's fantastic if you slap it up there and and maybe you know even tag me so I know that that you're talking about me. Although if you don't want to, that's fine. I'll just assume people talk about me anyway behind <laughs> my back because they often right. do. But. Um, uh-huh. And 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 I'll, anything like that, anything word of mouth is is really vital for us 
independent writers because that's that's how we we sell these these wonderful little uh pieces of work that we do and uh and uh yes buy 20 copies though but that that's actually that's a good one <laughs> that's at the top that's and, at the top of the list that's the number well, one th that's well, number one yeah right <laughs> well on on that note alex uh it's time for us to wrap up and uh, everyone listening, uh, do your duty. Be a good literary citizen. You will not regret it. Uh, it's a wonderful wow. book. Go out and buy 20 copies of The Sun Eaters. You'll love it. And Alex, thank you so much for joining me. It's been delightful to talk to you as always.